Okay, chaps, I've thoroughly researched the feature you suggested on Whitaker. First up, what do you think about inside the spaceship? It was good to get to see the TARDIS properly at last. Yeah, uh, even if it didn't last all that long. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it was quite short. Same with the rescue, I suppose. Yeah, just when it looked like they were all stranded on that alien planet, the Doctor found a way that got everyone off it. Except for the bloke with the sinister agenda. Well, he deserved his comeuppance. What did you make of the crusade? Uh, it's all a bit, I don't know, unseemly, don't you think? A lot of men who all have strong opinions about what should happen to a woman. Then again, the woman in question seems quite able to handle herself. Hmm. Yeah, I guess you're right. Any thoughts on power and evil of the Daleks? Just, uh, I don't think we'll get to see them this year. No. No, you're right. The man from Merseyside seems to have ruled that out. On to enemy of the world. Ian Levine. Well, he said a lot of things on the subject that he might wish he hadn't. Yes, he took a strong position without having many facts to go on. But despite all that, record number of people have seen it on all platforms. Yes, and everyone who's seen it seems to be favourably surprised by it. Hmm. And then at the end of the season, we get the wheel in space. Yeah, people have told me about that, but I've not seen it. I've heard it's just two episodes and some telly snaps. Well, that's better than some of the surrounding stories, but it's disappointing for the last great base under siege one. Anyway, new Doctor, what did you make of the Ambassadors of Death? I quite like an alien in a spacesuit that removes its helmet to reveal its hideous visage. And all it has to do to kill a person is is to touch them. It's pretty shocking. Yeah, the visit to Earth is a bit of a sideshow, though. It feels like the aliens have grander plans elsewhere. Hmm. Anything else, or is that it? Oh. Well, that was a whistle-stop tour of David Whittaker's writing for Doctor Who. Hang on, hang on. Who? David Whittaker? This is a podcast about Jodie Whittaker. Oh. What a mistake to make I think that'll work once yep. I've edited it. Yeah, Slide so trombone right. effect there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think our acting is definitely, definitely deteriorating week on week. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode two of Thirteen Cast. I'm Richard, and we have Paul. Oh, hello. Yes. Simon. Hello. And Giles. Hello. In the fortnight since our last episode, there have been two new Doctor Who shows, and we'll talk about those in a minute. Uh, we're pleased to say that our podcast is being listened to by literally people, and excitingly, we got a message this week on episode 102, 102, can you imagine, of the Diddly Dumb podcast. So admittedly, um, Doc Who has probably been listening to the Grumpcast, um, but he did give our show as well a, a plug, and that was good of him. And I think it's only fair we should do the same in return, which I think essentially we have. Yeah, yeah, that counts. So, uh, so, uh, chaps, any any exciting fan recognition moments in the last fortnight? Have you been mobbed since uh, it's been revealed that you're part of Thirteen Cast? Mm, <laughs> no, I met up with a couple of friends who um, who then knew all of my opinions before I spoke to them. <laughs> 
Yeah. My profile's gone yeah. through the roof, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently sales of my Big Finish audios have, have climbed by almost half a percent. <laughs> Simon, you're keeping uh, well, quite dis- on Disappointment all round, really. Our, our local comic book store guy is still pretty much nonplussed by my alleged stardom, so <laughs> you can but try. takes yeah, a lot yeah. to impress that guy. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, the uh, the Grumpcast Twitter feed got a like from Eric Idle um, uh, last week in response to one of Tim's tweets, and I think Tim might be dining out on that for a few weeks to come. Are you sure it wasn't Steve Punt? may may well have been okay so a couple of things I thought we might follow up from last time Um, we'd barely finished the podcast um, when it was suggested that we hadn't actually discussed the doctor's gender as a a specific thing Um, and certainly from my point of view I think that was essentially because it was no big deal Um, it seemed to me that uh, Jody came across as the doctor pretty much straight away um, and you know the fact that that, that she's a woman is kind of neither here nor there for, as far as the doctor's character is concerned but uh, any thoughts chaps about about um, how that's happened you know and we've got two more episodes I suppose to think about definitely seems to be neither here nor there as far as I can tell I, I've not done a precise count I think there were two references to it in the first episode one each in the next two episodes it uh, seems to be completely incidental. So unless they decide to do a story set on the planet of the misogynists, I can't really see it being an issue. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the way things are going, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps that's yet to come. Yeah. We'll return to Galaxy 4. Well, they might, they well, might yes. set an episode on Ryanair, mightn't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh. But no, she's certainly, she certainly hit the ground running, and it's been terrific. Um, she's just got on with things, and slip seamlessly into the role as far as I'm aware and I, th- I think it's been great yeah there's a couple of nice but at the risk of talking about specifics I I love the little moment in um in Rosa where um where Bradley put his um put his shoulder on when they were when they were briefly having to pretend to be husband and wife and Bradley put his arm on the doctor's shoulder and she sort of yep, looks at it <laughs> what's that's that terrific <laughs> nice understated reaction and again that's kind of it, is a bit about gender but not really because he probably only touched her shoulder because she's a woman but he, she would have reacted that way anyway because mm. the doctor generally is rather nonplussed by physical contact so again horses for courses yeah if things get tricky she can call up the venusian archido and she's done <laughs> yeah. the done the disdain for using weapons as well so she can problem solve with her head so it's it's not an issue at all really i, I mean she mm. She hit the ground running in that in that first episode. There was no sort of running around being giddy, as with some previous regenerations. So uh, yeah, boxes tick for me. Hmm. Okay, uh, and the other thing that was hanging over from the last time, um, Giles started to talk to us um, about a conversation he'd had ar- around the Stenza might be a recurring thing, uh, the, the discussion of the sister that had disappeared uh, during the, the episode. And, you know, we, we kind of humoured you, Giles, but we weren't <laughs> necessarily joining in with you with any great enthusiasm. And then, of course, in episode two, we, we, we go uh, uh, almost immediately, um, the Stenzo mentioned again. So, mm-hmm. so maybe there is something in that. Well, it was just a guess. It was either a plot hole or a... Um... Are we yeah. going to cover that when we get to episode two? Because uh, was it the planet of the Stenzer? Is that what we were supposed to believe? The planet Desolation? Was that where they came from? Or 
Ooh. I think they've been there. They've just been there, okay. Right. Well, it wasn't, it the, wasn't the very si- clear, I think. The dead souls of the dead scientists that were telling us how the Stenzer had come and mm. forced them to create these weapons was that. Were they impl- Okay, never mind. I don't suppose it's that important, is it? But uh, yes, I rewatched episode one again, and it seems. I hadn't really noticed there was anything hanging over when we discussed it last time, but the, the reference to uh, that dead chap's sister mm. it, uh, leapt out of me this time. She. Um, Tim Shaw makes it quite clear that his victims are held in some sort of suspended animation, so I think there's the possibilities there. It's just mm. I'm not quite sure what the point would be of revisiting that, you know, saving her when mm. her brother's mm. not not there to see it, but wouldn't, wouldn't rule anything out. Mm. It's an interesting point you make, though, though Paul, about, about the Stenza, because, you know, we, we've got into this habit of thinking there's only ever one race on any given planet but you know there's no reason why you couldn't have half a dozen different races on a planet like you know in fact most planets you would imagine um (laughs) so the stents you know could in fact have have originated on that planet more than more than one environment on a single planet unlike anything you see in science fiction Mm. but yeah yeah thanks star wars (laughs) (laughs) right so that's episode one discussed for a second time brilliant We're, (laughs) we're nothing if not thorough yeah, yeah, indeed. So, uh, well, let's move on to the ghost monument then. Uh, so, uh, I mean, from my point of view, I loved the visuals of the ghost monument. I thought it was, I thought it was visually fantastic. I am willing to believe that there's the odd plot hole here and there, but I was kind of gav- gathered along on that kind of, oh, it looks so pretty, and the music's nice, and you know, the doctor's on it on a holidays kind of. Uh, except things are blowing up all around her. So I quite like that. Um, but what did you chaps think of it? Please, somebody else go first, because <laughs> I, I'm, I don't want to create another downer like I did last week. Go on, please. <laughs> I might have to step in your shoes, Paul, because I, 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 I gushed about the first episode and how marvellous it was and how nice it was to have a, a plot you could follow from beginning to end and had good characters in it. I felt let down by the Ghost Monument. Yes, it had a plot that I could sit with my family and watch. Great, but it seemed it seemed ever so lightweight after the first story. The the friends all blended in fantastically. Great chemistry between them, and they they felt thoroughly underused in this episode. Um, I felt the villains were a bit lightweight as well for people that have battled their way across star systems to compete in a galactic rally they they didn't look very battle, battle hardened to me yeah it's difficult to believe that they were the two well uh, toughest or strongest or the best survival instincts mm. out of 4,000 people that started off mm. perhaps that's taken it too literally but uh, I think maybe I'm being a bit the, harsh I mean I can't praise it on the one hand for being family friendly and then pick it pick it to bits I mean it, it you know, we've had three episodes now. I think that have had that have told a story all the way through. Um, it seems a bit mean to pick it to bits, but I think that first episode really raised the bar. So I, I, I felt Ghost Monument was a bit of a bit of a letdown after that. And quite a lot of, hmm. quite a lot of plot holes, and I, I thought the characters, the friends, were all underused in it. Um, particularly Yaz, she just seemed to be in the background all the way through the episode, which I thought was disappointing because mm. she, she was great in the first episode and, and when we come to talk about Rosa as well she was she was excellent in that as well as were all the cast so you know they introduced three friends or companions they're called friends now and then they were thoroughly underused in the next 
episode and it felt like they're all hanging around and a bit underused there was one nice scene between graham and ryan on the boat which was really good Mm -hmm. but Mm. you know they really just seem to be along for the ride and i I felt that was a bit disappointing as well also thought jody was a bit all over the place as well in the the second episode um i thought that might just be her settling into the role i don't i I don't know what sequence they're all filmed in i haven't done any research but i thought maybe that was one of the early ones they shot and all of the mm-hmm. characters perhaps weren't feeling very confident perhaps the, the friends and the companions so they kept them in the background a little bit until they found their feet and Jodie seemed a little bit all over the place as well so again having gushed about her and praised her uh, for the first episode uh, again that, that felt a letdown as well and then as for the, the the sort of hologram villain I mean could he really care less about honouring promises at the end of the race and, 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 and things like that as well it all you know, for someone for as good a writer as Chris Chibnall, I really, really like it. It just felt a bit lightweight after that that first episode, and and what was to come later, which we'll discuss in Rosa as well. So, sorry guys, I'm I'm in a bit of a downer about this episode. Okay, Giles, uh, what have you got for us? <laughs> Am I going to have to be the one that holds up the um, holds up the positive positive side of it? Um, I know, if you I, want to, you. Uh, well, you know, um, <laughs> for the sake of balance. Um, no, I know. I, I did. I did enjoy it when I was, you know, when I was watching it. I wouldn't say it was the most intricate of plots, but then that seems to be the the nature of these things. They were um, visually, as Richard said, you know, I agree. It looked spectacular. I didn't really have much of a problem with the central cast performance, although I can I can see what uh, what Simon's saying about Mandeep. Um, I thought there was some. Nice stuff between Bradley and uh, Toysin there. And, yeah, I didn't really notice Jodie being off her game or particularly all over the place. What I did feel was that the it felt a bit like, oh, here comes Chibnall's somewhat uh, hackneyed, hard-boiled, hard-boiled space, you know, space people talk, a bit of, you know, a bit of the kind of stuff we had in, in 42. And... Um, mm-hmm things like that, that um, I kind of felt like, okay, those, these characters are a bit uh, somewhat um, cliched, and the resolution such as it was, it was very, it was very odd, and it's, uh, it's hard to tell, I'm, I'm, I'm always reluctant with these things to, to see whether or not I'm, because in some ways I kind of think, oh, hang on, so again, I'll be holding back on something that we're going to see. Are we going to see some of these characters later in the series again? Is Art Malik um, going to make a return? Seemed like a bit of a waste of Art Malik, to be honest. But then, mm. but then I guess you know, over the years of on the flip side, with a, with a character that thin, you need somebody good to make an impression in it. So that could well be all. Yeah. Mm, yes. Yeah. Good point. But um, I guess we've got used to seeing great actors wasted in. You know, <laughs> somewhat thrown away. That's that's some. Um, let's say, yeah, somewhat thrown away on bit parts, uh, where you think, well, surely this would be um, a case where they could hold an entire episode. Um, a la, I guess, David Suchet uh, last series, where you really you mm-hmm. think, okay, if you've got someone of that caliber, give them something meaty. But um, yes, yeah, I don't know, and and. I think, Richard, you planted this in my head. I haven't really been online because I, I must confess, viewers, I've been away, so I only actually caught, caught up with the episode yesterday 
directly before watching Rosa, so I've not really been online or anywhere to try and find out anything about it. I've been avoiding spoilers and discussion and so on, but Richard, I think you planted the idea in my head of it being something of a, um, a Hartnell comparison. There's certainly elements of like, you know, the keys of Mariners done in one episode or that kind of, that kind of vibe of these kind mm-hmm. of, you know, or even, even a slight travelogue Marco Polo kind of thing. But, um, mm-hmm. but then the problem is if you've only got 50 minutes, you can't really develop it all that, all that far. Yes. Sorry. I've probably waffled enough now. I was I was going to ask about the Hartnell-esque thing, so I'm glad you picked up on that, Jos, because, the, you know, I thought, oh, great, three, three companions, three travellers. That you know, that's that's a heart back to the to the you know the good old days, and then we have a sort of episode where we could have seen what what they can do, what they can contribute, and you know they're all in the in the background, and suddenly I started to think, well, is three travelling companions travelling friends is that is that too many characters mm, yeah i think you i think that ties into what one of my biggest problems with with that episode to be honest <clears throat> it was just so linear in in every way and <laughs> i mean you can have a you can have a linear plot which where which doesn't necessarily mean every character within it has to be following exactly the same line through it but here we mm. literally had six people all in a row wandering across mm. the surface of a planet like like the hobbit or something it's and i th- i guess that's the, so yes if you compare it to the the hartnell era it it should have that epic feel and if it was seven episodes long i think i maybe i'm repeating myself from last time <laughs> it would it would have more of an epic feel and you would have more opportunity for each character to branch out and have their own subplots for the for the core team to split up a bit mm. but here with 50 minutes even Six characters is is too many for them all to get mm. to have justice paid to them, and so yes, I was. I think the it wasn't as much in general as a drop off in the first episode as it sounds to have been for you two, but um, I was hoping to discover more about the characters by the end of this episode. I don't think I found out a single important thing about any of them after another fifty minutes, which was which was disappointing. And there's certainly plenty of room for it. There was mm. it's a. It's um, it's much simpler. Everything in the program has been simplified, and in some ways that's a blessed relief. But I'm still, I was still after episode two wondering if perhaps we'd taken a step too far back, the other way. If mm. when I said I wanted wittier dialogue, I didn't mean um, endless one-liners. I just wanted more character, more invention in in the dialogue, and so much of it is just about making the plot clearer. Uh, that is something that I'm spotting in general throughout this series. There seems to be an obsession. Again, it's in, in general, it's a good thing. An obsession with making sure the audience knows exactly what's going on at any given moment. And mm. it's so far a swing of the pendulum back a, away from Moffat, where you c- would watch it week after week and b- not really understand what happened in that episode, not really understand how it fitted in with the series arc. They're not taking any chances now. But I do wonder mm. if perhaps if, if things are being over-explained. But... But, 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 this is the start of a new era. I, perhaps they'll be recalibrating and things will settle down. But uh, have you noticed how often people are asking questions? Half the dialogue in any given episode is people asking questions. The doctor asks, half of them rhetorical, some, some of them actual. There's constant recapitulation. Every time they pause, they, re- they recap where we are, what the stakes are, what the goals are, what characters' motivations are. You're never really mm-hmm. in any doubt of wh- where you're going. And... Um, 
in a way that, again, it seems more fitting to a to a children's program. Whisper it. Mm. So, <laughs> I just wonder if it's an overreaction to the perceived over complexity of the of the more recent years. Mm. So there you go. Okay, I mean, there was one interesting moment. I mean, it may lead somewhere. It feels like it probably will. Um, where the sort of strange cloth monsters start say to, to Jodie's doctor uh, that she's a timeless child. We see what's hidden even from yourself. Mm. The outcast, abandoned and unknown. And that was all sort of semi-Moffaty. It's not quite Moffaty. Moffat would probably have come up with something a bit more elaborate than that. But uh, it was, you know, something a bit bit bizarre and it didn't really fit with the rest of the episode yes yeah and that's that sort of again flagged up potential series arc stuff mm. it, seemed, it seemed very odd to order otherwise and we had um we had clearly time lordy music playing in the background <laughs> if if not quite chancellor <laughs> flavia's theme it was um it wasn't a million, million miles away from that was it and, mm. um, that was highly unexpected i really thought we were not going anywhere near arcs or mythology or anything mm. and the, the timeless mm. child is such a new series phrase it sounds like it could have come from the russell era or the moffat yes era. yeah yes yeah yeah watching it again earlier it, it seemed fairly clear that it was referring to the doctor herself although then again she didn't recognize the phrase so perhaps no. perhaps that's perhaps it's not as cut and dried as that yeah yeah true did she say uh, i can't i've i'm trying to remember did she kind of responds by saying, "What did you say?" Doesn't she? Well, she did. She did initially, and That's... something about not just the phrase, is it, is but the um, brief. What, is it a, what did you say? I'm not expecting anyone to anyone to say that to me, or is it definitely well, that she doesn't recognise it herself? I thought that was where it was going, but her next couple of lines were a bit more. What on earth are you talking about? Mm. But the description, as well as the phrase um, "timeless child," sort of conjured up images of the the young. Doctor, we saw in Listen, was it? Where we saw some flashbacks to him hiding under a bed? Oh, yeah. I didn't dream mm, that, yeah. did I? That did happen. Yeah, yes. that seems unlikely that's where, that's where Mr. Chibnall's going in his bold, new, simple, mm. easy to follow series, but who knows? So, uh, I mean, I, I, I've alluded to it a little bit earlier on, but um, I, having seen the, the trailer for this, I thought, oh, well, you know, the Doctor and, and their friends have gone on holiday. You know, they've got this nice sea and sand maybe she'll go for a dip like Troughton but uh, sadly of course uh, with, with the, with the flesh eating yeah. bugs or whatever they were that wasn't going to go mm. off too well no, um, you can take exfoliation the, too far yeah yeah and the resort hotel had seen better days really hadn't it, <laughs> it, it, it uh, mm. not exactly five star no, looked terrific is. nice idea I thought to have the bulk of the episode visually so distinct from the first episode mm. dark and light um confined and open hmm. those, those robots are rotten shots that was a bit um, I mean I, I don't like to pick on <laughs> things like that are, are, are fall, when something like that fails which it did it falls somewhere hmm. between a as it counts as a production error you, I, I tend to hmm. give him the benefit the right of the benefit of the doubt and think that perhaps he yeah. didn't imagine it looking quite that naff and somewhere hmm. the director hmm. and special effects people but ultimately whenever you write a scene where People are running away from half a dozen lethal <laughs> robots, which are designed for the one for the sole purpose of shooting <clears throat> intruders. Yeah, and the best they can come up with is ingenuity on the doctor's part is oh zigzag, mm. <laughs> zigzag there, 
yeah, they're yeah. calculating our patterns. You don't need to calculate yeah. somebody's or, pattern when they're just running. <laughs> yeah. Or, although, oddly enough, they didn't. It didn't occur to them to zigzag when the spaceship was coming in, crashing. Oh, no, behind indeed, them. Yes. Goodness! <laughs> I will stop picking up all the bits I wasn't going to mention. That was <laughs> why on earth would you not run up the side of that bank? It just took me at the moment. Watching it a second time, that was all very dramatic. I actually that opening's five or ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. It was mm. genuinely quite tense and dramatic in a way yes. that um, you don't get every week, so that it, that it worked very well, but it really took me out of it when they just ran in the same direction that the <laughs> spaceship was travelling at hundreds of miles an hour. Mm. Yes. That's just, just um, <coughs> unnecessary. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well. On the, on the plus side, Venetian Aikido looks like it might actually work this time. Hmm. Yes, you know, com- yeah. compared with compared with the Pertwee version. I hope she shouts "Hi" next time. She goes <laughs> <through>. <laughs> that's all it was lacking. Yeah, that's the first yeah. of um, the couple of interesting continuity references we've had. Is there a se- are we going to be mm. talking about that in general later? Yeah, probably. probably. I tell you what. So, 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 should we move on and talk a bit about Rosa, so, so we don't get lost in our own melancholy, and then mm. uh, we'll come back and talk a, a little bit more about both of them. Yes. So, uh, who wants to go first on Rosa? Uh I loved every second of it and I was so pleased I was pleased oh please not least because I thought uh, I'm not going to have to go on there and moan week after week after week in public (laughs) on this podcast at least I can can relax now I'm going to be able to say something nice I thought it was so much better that it was slightly uncanny and I spent uh, I was trying not to spend too much time thinking about why (laughs) I'm I thought it was so improved and not rather than just enjoying it. Mm. But um yeah. Somebody else have a go now. I like um so yeah, sec- seconded Paul. I, I like stories where they, they actually have to work hard to so- to solve a situation. And again that, that had a that had a great plot and they really had to work hard to pull it all together and, and, and make it work at the end. So I enjoyed it all the way through and having panned the way the friends we used in the ghost monument in this one they all played an integral part mm. in making sure things worked out for Rosa in the end so that that was good that was very good as well and it felt like what they were doing really mattered as well there was some sort of gravitas attached to the to the outcome as well so i thought i thought it was really well handled very well done and it was a fantastic setting as well mm-hmm. yes yeah i would i would agree it was um it was very well done. The um, I, I wasn't entirely sure whether I was expecting it to be a uh, pure historical. I didn't. I honestly didn't know whether there were going to be any any sci-fi elements mm. outside of the Doctor and uh, the Tardison's crew. It's it's a kind of a story style that I have a um, a soft spot for. That's kind of um, trying desperately to keep history on track, kind of mm. thing, um, and dancing dancing around the edges of recorded events. Um, I think it, it presents interesting, interesting challenges. It's, it's, a, it's a fun little kind of puzzle box from a writing point of view to, to work out how to um, to do something like that. I think, and yes, as you say, I think it it, it was great because it in, implemented all of the all all of the crew had their own individual things to do. It related to them all in various different ways. You know, the the events and the the import of them affected them all. And it was, yeah, the displays of prejudice and so on, they were, it was, yeah, it made you feel uncomfortable in a way that one is not used to feeling, you know, it's not something that one normally associates with Doctor Who, that kind of queasiness, 
if it's as it were, if that's the right term. Mm. So I think you know the the you know the moment when Ryan just got you know Ryan just got punched right in the opening reel, mm. or, or indeed in the face and the opening reel. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, um, yeah, that was that was quite a you know that was a shocking mm. take you aback moment and the um the scene with the which i referred to earlier with the policeman coming and visiting the you know in the motel room that was the the implied threat is just you know and it coming from humans is um just nasty people is um is just not something one's used to but um but so yeah mm. i felt i felt it did it and it um it deserved i, I won't say it's um it didn't absolutely punch me in the gut emotionally in the in the way that some of Russell's episodes did and something like Vincent Vincent and the Doctor for instance did I don't quite think it had that kind of emotional power for me but nevertheless I thought you know I enjoyed it a great deal more Mm. please well it it looks like I'm going to have to be the one who's a bit equivocal about this then on um so for me I I I felt that that it was a a dichotomy really I mean it was a beautiful realization of the the struggle of the civil rights movement, and I and I, I loved that bit. Um, uh, you know, Martin Luther King is a big um, you know personal hero of mine. Um, I I, I love the whole practical outworking of Christian principles in that civil rights struggle. The determination to remain non-violent to show nothing but love for people and and that that will conquer the hate and 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 the ignorance and so on so you know it had that working for it in its favor and and i thought they did did justice to that note while editing if i'd been a bit more attentive either to the episode or to history i might have noticed that in fact this is of course a sit-down protest rather than a stand-up protest so sorry about that, but I think the point that I make is relatively valid. That aside, I I just wish it had been a pure historical because I didn't find the kind of Back to the Future um, with the with the stupid future racist kind of worked very well alongside it for for me, and 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 I guess the reason you know I've been chewing over that all day why why didn't I like that too much. I, I understand from the doctor's point of view and from the friend's point of view why they want Rosa to stand up on that bus at that time because that's their personal history and that's a fixed point in time maybe and so that's maybe important. But from the stupid future racist point of view, (laughs) what's he trying to do? I mean, if he stops her standing up on that bus on that day... She'll only stand up on another bus in a few days' time because you know she knows what she's doing. She, she you know, she knows that this is all about a non-violent struggle. So, I mean, it will happen. And, uh, you know, he's not going. He's not going to be able to stop it. Yeah. At the risk, at the risk of being too literal, is he going to send a few, uh, forward thousands of years? So, so Rosa Parks specifically won't be doing that again. But yes, somebody else will. Perhaps, perhaps he thinks he's got plenty of time. Perhaps he's going to dedicate the rest of his life to or maybe, <laughs> moving um, through moving through history a few years at a time. Hmm. Every time time reshapes it around his changes. Maybe I'm um, well back yeah. at the infinitely prolonged racist. Hmm. Sorry, sorry, guys. I, I, maybe on, Simon. maybe that that Crasco was a weak character because the monster in all of this was racism. And you mm. didn't, you I'd... didn't, you didn't want to have a strong feeling. I mean, maybe he pops up, he tries again, and he, you know, he has a hand in Martin Luther King being shot and Kennedy and 
his brother. I don't, mm. I don't, I don't know. I'm going off on a big tangent, but I, I think the monster here was was the racism all the way through it, and that did it, turn it is, my stomach all the way through it. And yeah. um, I've been having a think about this because I've seen people arguing it from both sides, and I, I genuinely think I'm so glad I can say some positive things that they mm. pitched it absolutely right. If it, if there had been no villain, well, if it's a pure historical, there's not really a story. The only story I can think of is that they you could have told virtually the same story if the if the TARDIS crew arriving had accidentally yes. caused the same kind of um, disturbance, like stepping on a bus of flight. And, and, and then that, that's, that, and that's literally Back to the Future then, isn't it? And mm. if they'd done that, there's no villain. And as has already been pointed out, the villain is prejudice, racism, rather, rather than the, the specific embodiment of that in one mm. rather pathetic non-entity. And I think it is, on, to take the other angle of that, I think it's important that he is a bit of a non-entity because that is kind of making explicit the way we are, I think, we, the way we should view people in our society who who are proudest to express those views. He looked like uh, he should be on an EDL march with other yeah. flag-waving flag gammon. Uh, he <laughs> and, um, bit worrying he looked like the Fonz, I, didn't he? Well, yeah, I'll never get a look at the watch Greece, uh, Greece again the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Just to talk about the plot for a second, does anyone think we'll see him again? I saw the very intelligent Dr. Matthew Sweet tweet on this subject and said he hopes we never see this man again. He is because that will <laughs> because no because that will prove to because he is such a a nothing. Mm. That why should we dignify him with seeing him again? Mm. I really thought that was where it was going. Um, Okay, so mm. I'll, I'm going to put Giles' hat on and make some predictions. If this was any other episode, if this was a normal uh, changing history time travel episode, I would swear mm. we would see him again later on and that Ryan's decision to zap him back into the past will have consequences, i.e. the next time they step on Earth, they'll find that everything's changed and mm. it'll be his fault. I would have put money on that. But I think mm. having that as the... Um, as the follow-on from an episode that's actually about rather more profound themes than just time travel, might be in mm. poor taste. So, on balance, probably not. But I did notice that the Doctor doesn't pick Ryan up on that. She doesn't have any opinion. I know events move on, but when he tells her what he's done with what's-his-face, mm. she doesn't get a chance to react. She doesn't um, shout at him, you had no right, like she did to that chap in the first episode. Yes, yeah. But she doesn't say, oh, nice one, Ryan. I'd have done the same. So um, they get that felt a bit like a, a dangling thread. So should we add it to our list of potential, potential follow-ups? Mm, well, the mm. fact that he was sent into the past rather than into the future, because, you know, obviously if he, gets, if he got zapped into the future, then one could safely dismiss that and say, well, that's, that's yeah, how, how it must, moved away. And, um, that must be deliberate, because the only other time his weapon was referred to, he was planning to send Rosa into the future. Mm. And... Ryan, whether deliberate or accidentally, but he specifically refer referred to the fact that he'd changed the setting to the past. Now, that mm. can't be an accident, can it? I've had so, an even scarier thought. What if he winds up in the future and he starts buying real estate in New York and opening hotels all over the place and he puts <laughs> himself up for election? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's too fantastical, even for Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, who'd ever, uh, who'd his ever skin turned orange, maybe by by being oh, sorry, Richard. Who'd ever elect an idiot like that, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought there were some great in individual moments. The way they handled stuff with the with the companions. I don't know. We're possibly going to talk about how they're developing 
later, but I think I think the the scene with um, with Ryan when he got to meet Martin Luther King and you know I, I thought that was really nicely handled the whole thing of him mm. his star, <laughs> starstruckness and um, nice to meet you Martin Luther King and um, sure. I thought that was lovely and. Mm. I thought there was a marvelous. I thought there was a marvelous subtlety to this entire episode, mm. and I don't want to damn it uh, to praise it by damning things that have gone before, because other, you know I know about Doctor Who fan, and that's all we're supposed to do. But I, I'd, ra- <laughs> I'd rather just talk about how good this is. But the racism, the prejudice, wasn't overstated. Apart from you know, apart from something very visceral like the slap at the beginning, these people weren't presented as absolute caricature monsters. They were they were nasty but in a very human, believable mm. way. The way our heroes reacted. Mm. They didn't um, scream and shout like Ace would have done if she had arrived in this situation. Mm. They were seething with, with righteous anger on the inside, mm. but they didn't do that thing that fictional characters so often do and act in a, <laughs> in a ridiculously unwise, dangerous way. They didn't start telling people where I come from, you know what I mean. Mm, yes, they, yeah, they didn't bottle it up. In, they, sorry, they, they did bottle it up. There was, which was it was all on the inside. You could see what they were thinking. Mm. You could see the conflict of how they, the fact they intellectually they knew for their own safety, and later on for the time travel plot to mm. play out that they they had to conform in inverted commas, and that tension I thought was terrific. Mm. Mm. I thought, yeah, from from that point of view, I found the most affecting moment in the episode for me and just goes to show what a great asset Bradley Walsh is to have in the show for me for me personally the the bit on the bus where he said I don't want to be I don't want to cause this to happen as he was having to fight his mm. urge to you know that he didn't want to be part of the part of the problem that she was going to have to you know step up to you know to try and fight and I thought that was very nicely handled yeah yeah, and, and I think it was interesting also that that, that collection of people, um, the Doctor and Companions, which you know actually is relatively credible. You could have four people in a group from Britain, modern Britain, and and you know there'd, there'd be a, a black person and someone from South Asia, um, or of, of that extraction. Uh, it, that's just an abomination in the place where they've where they've ended up. That those four people should be together. Mm. That killed the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you, it was so profound. There's no way any of us could top it, that, or yeah. even even run with it. Yeah, yeah indeed. No, everyone rea- everyone behaved in a very human way, and it did a hell of a lot for me to make these. P- Sorry, I'm, I am damning the previous episodes. They've all they felt like real people already, mm-hmm. but um, but I thought slightly underwritten, not nebulous. I sort of knew who they were. They weren't behaving inconsistently, but they hadn't really revved up and shown us who they really were and suddenly as soon as the episode started everything suddenly seemed like it was in high high definition mm. what i've said about the dialogue at the risk of harping on about this after the first couple of episodes i was thinking was it underwritten but now i'm thinking have i just is it just that it's not overwritten i've got so used to over, mm. overplayed dialogue which is very very clever yeah, but uh, not remotely anything a real person would say, and I think it's I think it's recalibrated. And for in this episode, it was perfect, and it was making good use of the the four of them. When there were scenes where they were together, they would spark off each other, possibly 
to give it the benefit of the doubt, this is because they're, they're getting to know each other now. Maybe that wouldn't have been possible mm. in the previous episode, but now they all know each other's strengths and weaknesses. That The dialogue has become sparkier to represent that. When, they, when they're separated, again... I, I like the way that they... You, there's more humour here, which seems odd for a story that's about such a serious mm. subject, but I, that's very human, very, very natural. They respond to the racism with humour when they can. Um, sort of sardonic wit that the the people yeah. they're talking to won't won't understand. So it's not actually making a, a dangerous thing to do. That's the, uh, the the scene in the restaurant. We we don't serve blacks here, boy. Yeah, that's all right. I don't like eating them. No, I <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just yeah. that's perfect. And the, yeah. <laughs> followed on by the the Mexican gags. And yeah, you know, yeah. if not every previous um, companion's ace who would have jumped through a window and thrown a thrown a bomb <laughs> at them. <laughs> <laughs> but but I I still actually can't re- really imagine what the previous New Who companions would have done in this story, which is interesting. Mm. I liked them all. I knew who they mm. were, but mm. I can't quite imagine what they would have done here. So it's perfectly tailored well, to this new team, this new tone, you know, this mm. new show, which is gradually revealing itself to us. Yeah, well, Donna would have given them what for, wouldn't she? That she's the one exception I can see. Th- oh yeah, I can picture that. Ugh. Fires of Pompeii style, Donna. Uh, yeah, I did like the whole, you know, Yaz Mexican thing. It, 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 it uh, um, I mean, I, don't, I, 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 I couldn't see it, but I, but I suppose maybe if you're in, uh, if you're in Alabama, you might think that. But, but uh, yeah, it, it was a, you know, a nice callback, possibly, but, but probably not to Enemy of the World. Um, oh, that's, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's exactly what they. Were. <laughs> So when we get to the sequel, Son of Salamander, yeah, yeah, they can return to that theme. I look forward to it. <laughs> okay, are, are we getting to the point where perhaps we we have a, a chew over some broader themes and maybe you know we can come back to, to the episodes as as we're going along? So we've had the title sequence and music. I mean, I've had some specific thoughts on that, but um, I'd be interested to hear what you had to say first. I find it. I I found it odd. The title. The- the opening title sequence and the music. The music seems to work well at the end of the show, but at the beginning, for the for the the sort of Jody incarnation of the Doctor and the way everything's lit, it seems a bit too dark, and it doesn't mm. seem to segue into what follows for me. So I think it works quite well at the end of the episode. We, did, we didn't we didn't have the theme music mm. at the end of the Rosa episode for a special reason, but mm. each time I've heard, it, I thought, yeah, that that works really well at the end, but. At the start, no, not for me, and I, I'm not so keen on the the, the darkness and and the grimness as well at the beginning because I think that might have worked for someone grumpy like um, Capaldi's mm. Doctor, but no, not for the not for the Jodie Jodie Doctor. I don't, I don't think it quite works for her. Mm. Mm. No, nope, I'm happy. I'm ecstatic about the titles, the opening music, the incidental music. The titles are probably the best we've had since uh, since. 1977, when I fa- when I found them scarier than the rest of the program. High praise, and I I hope it's I hope it's doing the same for the current generation of Kitty Winkles. Hmm. Giles, any thoughts on it? Uh, yes, I I like I like it all. Um, yeah, I like everything. Um, no, I, I I'm I enjoy I love the love this version of the theme, and yes, the credits. I mean, I've only seen them for the first time yesterday properly. They seem good to me. The thing that um, caught me by surprise, though, is the fact that we have a um, 
we go straight into the credits, old school style, yes. rather than um, yeah, rather true. than having the cold open and teaser scene, which I kind of yeah, it's a bit of a jolt um, from from what we've been used to, and I, part of me regrets perhaps the loss of a um, the loss of the opportunity for a mini, mini cliffhanger that we used to have, often going into the um, going into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so um, my my thoughts on the on the whole thing was a, a big step up on the kind of crummy computer graphics of the sort of uh, early Matt Smith era, and then the I, I never really much liked the clocky thing that with uh, with Capaldi. No. I'm going to be a little bit com- curmudgeonly because uh, in every version of the Doctor Who theme since the Delia Derbyshire one, in my view, isn't as good as the Delia Derbyshire one. So I mean, this is. You know, it uses some elements of that original one. It's it's it it's pretty good. I mean, I mean, you know, I I quite like it, but I still, when I hear it, I think it's not as good as hers. You know, I mean, she to to my mind, she came up with the with the best version of the theme that I've heard, and I've, I've you know I've never heard one yet that I like better. Anyway, mm. that, that's that. The title sequence it's interesting, but what's it supposed to be? I mean, I I I, I kind of you know with with. It, so, so I'll tell you what it looks like to me. It looks like the kebab guy from the first episode, the guy who's throwing the salad, they've got an endoscope and they've stuck it down his gut <laughs> just after he's eaten his kebab. And you're going down the esophagus through the different layers of beer and kind of kebab and it's hmm. all kind of mushing around. And, uh, you know, now, and, I mean, once I've seen it, I can't unsee it, I'm afraid. So, so that's what I think that's all about. And then the Thanks base. Thanks the base, for that, Richard. Now we'll yeah. stuck with that. And the base is his indigestion, isn't it? <laughs> I was going to. Yeah. That's much better than mine. I was going to say it reminds me of a dishwasher tablet advert. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit like that, too. Cynics. It looks like adventure. It looks like adventure. Yes, it's reminiscent of the Pertwee, Pertwee sequence to me. Um, just in you know, in in passing, that's my that's my kind of gut reaction. I can't hmm. say gut reaction now, can I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry about that, chaps. Mm, but there we go. Thanks, Richard. <laughs> so. I was going to ask you about the, the, the writing, but we've talked an awful lot about the writing. Mm. Well, I have. <laughs> yeah. Doctor. 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 Let's talk a bit more about Jodie Whittaker. Cause we, I mean, because we talked about her right at the start of the of the show, you know, and, and but then really only in relation to the first episode and a little bit about the second but i mean now we've got three episodes in you know any further thoughts about about jodie whittaker's doctor and, and how she is in the role i i didn't have any doubts that she was going to end up being terrific they they always take a, a little while to bed in for me and it was just a question of how how long it would take how many episodes it would be and for me i something clicks in episode three and uh, where Mm. I, I was wondering if it had anything to do with the order in which they were filming these, but if it was filmed at the same time as episode two in, in South Africa, it can't really, can it? Yeah. But I just thought that it all came together. There's more a, sh- a sharper definition between her whimsical side and her serious side, and the jokes were landing better. The the mm. Banksy bit was terrific. I think that might that mm. might be the single moment when I thought not just this is the Doctor, but that's new. 
I couldn't quite think of another doctor that would make that joke in that precise way, so that's good. I'm going to hang on to mm. that. hope I'm not disappointed. That could be the only time she ever does anything remotely like that, of course, <laughs> but <laughs> fingers mm. crossed. Yeah, no, she's, you know, I, I find her magnetic on the screen. She's she's just great. Yeah, I, I think she's a commanding presence throughout. I've not had any real um, doubts from, from the moment she popped up on the train that um, she's mm. definitely the Doctor and the, the definite article, so to speak. I was going to say something. Simon, you carry on. I'm sure it'll come back to me. Yeah, I, I, I was a bit negative when we were talking about the Ghost Monument. I... I I gushed about um, Joe's performance in the first episode. I, I thought it was excellent, and you're right, Giles. From the moment she, I mean, she hit that train running, didn't she? She was fantastic. <laughs> um, the second story, I, I, I don't know. I, I just found her a bit all over the place, and I, I might upset Richard here. I, I found her a bit like Jane Horrocks or something, a sort of shrieky, <laughs> shrieky Yorkshireless. <laughs> And I'm I'm going to show yeah. my. Pre- I've just talked all about Rosa. We've just talked all about Rosa. Wrong and- side of the Pennines, I'm afraid, yeah. Simon. But yeah, Ooh. that's fine. Sorry, mate. Go on. I I just <laughs> found her a bit irritating in that episode, and I was thinking, oh, I thought she was great last week, and not so good here. But um, in Rosa, definitely back on track again. And um, Crasco himself might have been a bit lightweight, but she was excellent in the scenes where they they confronted each other, and. Mm. Um, I love the way she marshalled the friends and got them all playing a big role in, in seeing Rosa through to the to the end of the episode as well. So back on track in, in Rosa and um, very impressive again. Has she called them a gang before? before? I know that it's been quite clear that they're her friends now rather than companions, mm. but when she said, come on, gang, in Rosa, I sort of, I said, gang, out loud. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise, surprise, I th- everybody. I think that was the first time um, I... I like that. I remember what it was I was going to say. Uh, it's possibly more of a writing thing than a... Well, it's a combination of a writing thing and a performance thing that I like. As, as I may have said in episode one, You know, I've been leery of this whole thing about speechifying, and I like the fact that they seem to have cut, that, cut back. She can be a very commanding presence when she needs to be, but she doesn't seem to feel the need to run off at the mouth in the way that... Um, that previous new series doctors have, which is probably down to the people who've been writing for them. I feel that's the, that's the thing um, that you know this this kind of grandiose, extremely grandiose speeches uh, were once a rare commodity in Doctor Who, and you think about even you know one of the most famous from the you know lines like "I am a Time Lord, I walk in eternity." That's a one-liner, mm. and <laughs> some corners of the universe have read the most terrible things. You know they must be fought. That's also a one-liner, yeah. and it's not. And it's the way it's delivered. It's not. It was never Trout and grandstanding to no, you know to the no. Cybermen um, or anything like that. And I I feel like it's a welcome return to that because although you can justify you know, those kind of punch the air moments occasionally, it has increasingly felt like every episode would yeah. culminate in. In the doctor having to get you know giving some grandiose speech that had to kind of best the best the previous ones and could be emblazoned on everyone's t-shirts and so on and uh, so I, I like the I like the fact they've they've dialed back the grandiloquence if that's the correct term along those lines uh, so the doctor's been dialed back a bit almost I can't say humanized but um, 
certainly brought down to a level where we can identify a bit more with her. But beyond that, does anybody else think 13 is the most vulnerable Doctor we've had for a while? It only really struck me um, at the end of episode two when she yes. gives up hope, which seemed a bit out of character. And I was, mm. I was trying puzzling why it yeah. seemed... I mean, I think it's because she'd over-promised and let down her new friends. Yeah. But she's looked defeat, uh, so defeated and lost and sad. And um, yeah. oh, not in a bad way, not in a way that makes me think she's less of a hero than I'm used to. But I was wondering if we've got uh, you know, something more along the lines of Mr. Davison again. Mm. Yeah. A more, inverted commas, human and vulnerable Time Lord. Because there are lots of other little moments where she looks st- less than 100% sure. Okay. Mm. I like the fact she seems willing to apologise to 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 her friends when she gets them into trouble yeah. and things don't work out as as she'd expected, as opposed to um, most of the others would have shaken it off. Or hmm. yeah, I I I, I, I think it's I think it's an interesting point, and it, and it, it you know it was something that stuck with me too. I mean, you know, she never seen Revenge of the Cybermen or you know something like that, where you know the TARDIS eventually turns up, but it's a bit late. Uh, you know, it feel if it, it, it feels like. You know that's that's been a recurring theme, you know, several times. But it's not there at the exact moment she turns up, and and it's all uh, doom and gloom. So that, but yeah, uh, I think it's just a, as you say, a momentary flicker, and then she's she's back with us again. Perhaps it can be explained in that particular circumstance by the fact that um, you know, I know, although this is this is fan fan theorising, but perhaps there's a there's an element of uncertainty from the fact she was. Ejected by the TARDIS after her regeneration, and she mm, mm. she's had to go after it. It hasn't come to her. Yeah. Whether she's um, whether she is that little bit more uncertain that she'll that she's going to get it back. Yeah. So we we should talk about that actually, because I mean, other than than the uh, and then a couple of seconds in the spoof sketch at the start, we haven't talked about um, the new TARDIS and and what we think about that. So any particular thoughts? Still too dark for my taste, but it's a lovely set. It's um, hmm. When we've had a, <laughs> the organic Tardises of the new series took a bit of time for me to get used to, and then when mm. when it changes something a bit more technological, I thought, oh, that's good. That's mm, I think I prefer that. That's that's more we're on safer ground here. And then I got a bit bored of that, and now I'm thinking, oh, good, back to the those crystals look more impressive <laughs> than the boring old steel girders. So who knows? Mm. I, I don't see the need for it to be that dark. Can't can't you get can't you turn the lights up just a little bit? I I liked it more in what we you know with the brief bits we saw in episode three where they did seem to have lit it more brightly and um, they seemed to have turned the lights up somewhat, um, <laughs> so it was rather more colourful. I think I preferred that to the um, to to the kind of tail end of episode two. But considering they were done in the same block, you can't can't blame it on different directors or um, lighting cameramen mm. or anything like that. But yeah, no, I, I, on balance, I like it. I certainly like it more than, yeah, I don't know if I was ranking things. Um, I like it more than the Matt Smith era one. It's it's reminiscent in some ways of, um, I think the central console seems a bit reminiscent of the tenant era one. Very, so as I very can tell. much so. Yeah. With added custard cream dispenser. Mm. Those... <laughs> nice moment, that, I think. Yeah. I want more biscuits. Mm. I'm going to be disappointed every week that we don't get a, a Garibaldi or a Bourbon. Yeah. It will never be as good as the best TARDIS ever, which is the, uh, the version from the Time Monster with the washing up bowls on the walls. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A travesty that when you saw it once. Yeah. 
for what effort they went to. Mm. Yeah. Well, that washing up they couldn't do. Mm. I can remember missing um, an episode of Planet of the Daleks to get dragged around MFI by my mum and dad. And then we got back just to catch the end of one of the episodes. And to my horror, John Pertwee lay down in what looked like a fold-out MFI <laughs> bed <laughs> in the wardrobe. And I never recovered from that. So I'm not sure about Pertwee era Tertius. And I, <laughs> I I sat, I made for a reality check, I made myself sit through the Centerites the other night. So I think we are truly blessed nowadays with TARDIS interiors. And I, I, the mm. exterior of this TARDIS looks fantastic. Oh, it looks gorgeous, like, doesn't it? it? It does, it looks fantastic. And then yeah. the, the inside this new tarsus, it looks it looks organic almost in a way. Mm. So it's slightly, slightly a, nod, a nod to the past. I, I, I think you're right, Paul, about Tenant, but it, you know, it, it's different in a way. It looks, it looks like a living thing. Mm. I, I like that. And the, the, the visual display screens as well, that was a very clever touch as well. Mm. They looked almost alive. There's a nice moment, I mean, I guess we're getting back to the writing now, but there's a nice moment um, with the TARDIS unlocking the door. It's a sort of the counterpoint to hmm. booting her out the door yes. two stories previously. Um, it, it lets her back in again at the end of that. I'm not, I mean, I, uh, I can't say I've worked out in my head what the point of, about being kicked out in the first point was, but but anyway, whatever the beef was, it's, uh, it's over now. I am, um, yes. Sorry, at the risk of waxing lyrical, the... Um... You know, I'm not a TARDIS geek, but that's, and I usually, you know, I, I usually, the whole Clayton Hickman windows are the wrong size thing completely mm. passes me by. But but the moment the new one appeared, I thought that is a nice looking police box. I don't care. Mm. I don't care whether it's right or wrong according to the um to the aficionados, but it's um, <laughs> but it's by far the prettiest one, I think possibly we've ever had. It's uh, it's gorgeous. Now, I want they, they made a big song and dance about the Doctor not being able to control the TARDIS, hmm. which um, yeah. uh, didn't quite strike me at the time, but afterwards I thought, that's that's very un-New Who, isn't it? Yes, but, it is. Hmm. The nice. number of occasions where it didn't take him where he wanted to go in New Who, you can count on one or two fingers, can't you? Hmm. I remember Mark Gatiss making a big song and dance about it in yeah. The Unquiet Dead. And... Um, yeah. So I went back and checked that. I, thought, I was thinking, well, they set their stall out now. She's told us and her friends that she can't control it, so are we going to get a series of random stop-offs? But then again, they're back home next week, aren't they? So I guess, mm. when looking at dialogue again, it, 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 she does cover herself. She says, mostly I can control it, but at the moment it's being a bit awkward. So I suppose that's a fairly easy way of having a cake and eating it, isn't it? Yes, mm. but which is which is really what the classic mm. series always yeah, well, always, always did, to be honest. It could be... Um, mm. The TARDIS was always as as steerable as you needed it to be for the purposes of a I, particular I, I, story. Yeah, um, I guess. I just wouldn't want it to go the whole hog back to the 80s version where within a story you could use it to get out of jail. Or out, Sorry, I'll say the 80s. Mm. That's, where, that's where that first arose. And then mm. in certain New Who stories, particularly by Mr. Moffat, it's often the DSX machina of the entire plot. Mm. And I really would rather it was basically just a device for getting us into and out of the story each week. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. I, I certainly wel- yes, welcome well, a bit more randomness. And, and there's, 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 there's about a dozen uh, landings that are alluded to at the start of Rosa, which we'll have to ask you at the end of the season, 
Paul, which, which of those you're going to, you're, you're, you're taking as uh, the, the, the starting point of uh, future scripts? Thirteen, aren't they? For the... So that's um, yeah. Graham says this is the fourteenth. So that's thirteen, which means that's basically yes. I don't know three box sets of four or four box sets of three. <laughs> so I'll yeah yeah. I'll start. I'll put, get me thinking cap on. Mm. <laughs> we'll have the rights before you know it. <laughs> I say, I say we. Fantastic. What a what a pulse. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> yeah, that was a joke, everybody. <laughs> no, no, big yourself up, Paul. No one else no, will. No. <laughs> this is what I like, though. As I, as I may have said before, I'm I'm all about the gaps. I, I like the I like the idea of them leaving gaps in there for for either either for fans to make up their own explanations of what happens, or for Big Finish to come along, or you know, all the books or whatever. I just um, a- yeah, I don't really approve of all this. Joining the dots, so you know this idea that we see every moment of the dots' existence chronicled on CV screen. Um, to, to take that point more seriously, I mean, presumably nobody got out of the TARDIS in those previous thirteen stops because that would undercut the. Uh, hang on a minute. Yeah, they don't. They don't act like they're getting bored of, of actually mm. having to step out and see all these marvelous alien worlds. Mm. But that doesn't mean the Doctor didn't. She could. She could have taken a quick step out, come back in yeah. five seconds later, from their point of view, and who knows how many adventures she had. It's the same as Chris Eccleston in in Rose, isn't it? Well, yes. He's indeed. supposed to, according to the novel, he he fitted in all those trips to the Titanic and goodness knows mm. where. Yes. In within that one story. She probably slipped outside, infected an alien computer with a with a um, virus that. Will <laughs> yeah. She's very handy because it means she can she can have other companions in those gaps there mm. for when we go yeah, yeah. for if if somebody a production company one day had the rights to, had Jodie Whittaker but not mm. not Bradley Walsh we can, they could just invent yeah. somebody new mm. yeah yeah so you, you you could be the companion Paul me yeah well if I yeah. if I ever branched out into acting I think I would definitely be somewhere in the uh, top ninety eight percent. The contenders. <laughs> uh, so, okay, I think I think we've done a fair amount of that. Anything else we wanted to say about any of the um, companions or friends? Graham was funnier in episode three than he had been. Yeah. Every, everyone was better. Sorry, I shouted then. Mm. <laughs> I wonder, it's I important. That you, no, it needs to be shouted. It's important. They, they all redeem themselves, I think, in, in Rosa. I, mm. I felt a bit let down in the Ghost Monument, but no, they're, they're all great in Rosa. It's interesting. It'll be interesting. Well, uh, I, I suppose... Go on. No, sorry. I was just going to say, I mean, again, one, one comes back to the writing-related things. It's interesting to see, you know... It would be interesting to know, but we never will, exactly what Mallory Blackman's influence has been on this episode. Clearly it's co-written, as I, I mm. believe she hasn't done any telly or you know screenwriting prior to this. So um, obviously it makes sense that she'd write in, you know, collaborate with uh, with Chris on this. Um, mm. So it's it's interesting to... Interesting to see how much of that was, you know, it would be lovely to know how much of that was her influence. But then I think Chris managed to do a very characterful, you know, episode one. It just felt like uh, episode two, certainly with the um, with the supporting characters, what's it, Edso and um, Angstrom, uh, just felt slightly that, that they came out of his um, back pocket full of um, space opera cliches. Mm. Um, 
I thought I thought um, Bradley Walsh came across quite well in episode two. Graham, you know, they, 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 he had some nice moments mm. um, trying to to you know move things on with Ryan and and trying to do his his bit to to um, in that situation. So so yeah, I, I, I thought he was he was pretty good. And I think uh, you know I, I don't think there was any problem with the with the acting of the other two. They just weren't given an awful lot to do mm. in that story. And I like I like the way that the loss of Grace hangs over hangs over the series yeah. as something of a theme. It's nice to um nice to have it remembered rather than um rather than be one of these hmm. cases where um, where everyone moves on at the end of an episode. Hmm. And, uh, we have constant references to it. Yeah. So I was I was I was going to say I mean uh, nothing much um, on Yorkshire Watch this time. Uh, you know we've we've been a long way away from there. But perhaps just to say, because I didn't uh, mention it first time round, that uh, it is actually interesting for me uh, hearing Jodie Whittaker in particular, but, you know, her doctor speaking with with a Yorkshire accent. Um, I, 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 you know, I, th- I think as we've said, she, you know, she 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 is the doctor. She is she's instantly identified with the role, um, and it doesn't it doesn't feel out of place to me anyway that she has that accent. You know, it's it's very much her accent as a as a person but when when she plays a doctor it, it sort of seems to fit in quite well it it feels like there's nothing particularly about the doctor that you you know that you couldn't do and it uh, uh, as long as you you did it in a in a um, sincere way it couldn't um, couldn't pan out perhaps as a professional yorkshireman richard how are you finding uh, ryan's um accents you expressed <laughs> some reservations about that it sounds it sounds fine to me because i you know. it hasn't got any better um, so I've got. I mean, I guess there's there's about three theories I've got. So the first one is, so 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 maybe he's not supposed to sound all that Yorkshire. So so perhaps um, although his although his mother had a fairly convincing Yorkshire accent, maybe he's been out of town for a bit at some point in his childhood with his father or something. And so, uh, sorry, you're right. Yes, and so that so so there's a um, there's, there's maybe something happened there. I think that you know the next thought I've had is that uh, maybe, maybe he's warming into it, and by the end of the series, um, after he's had a bit more coaching and he's been around Jody and, and uh, Mandeep a bit longer, then he'll actually sound a bit more uh, like it. And the third is, well, you know, I mean, maybe you know, uh, not everyone from Yorkshire sounds the same. I mean, you know, I, I haven't got all that strong an accent myself, so you know, maybe that's just how he sounds. So, uh, yeah. But but yeah, not not brilliant. Fair enough. Oh, well. <laughs> we can't all be cloth cap and whip it. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so before we wrap things up, anything else that about either of those two stories or anything else about the new series that you haven't had a chance to express that you wanted to? Awkward silence. I I tell you one thing. Um, for me, the the incidental music. In episode two, it, it very much reminded me of Game of Thrones. I mean, I guess it maybe been the fact that it was cello, but mm. but um, it had that kind of feel to it. And then with the with the kind of filmic and and expansive scenes, that also kind of spoke to the same thing. I mean, not not for very long. I mean, you know, there was no gore or nudity or anything like that. But you know, just just that some some sometimes the sweeps of the camera across a. a, a, a a foreign location in Game of Thrones with that music. Uh, it's a similar, similar sort of thing. Mm. Yep, it's yeah. working. It's looking and sounding cinematic 
and it can't just be because they've shaved a few millimeters off the top and bottom of the screen. There's more to it than that. It looks terrific. I'm so pleased. Yeah. I mean, the other thing... There's some very interesting direct camera work. Sorry, we... As we're all experts on camera camera stuff, aren't we? As we've established in previous <laughs> episodes, but yeah. in, in both episodes two and three, there's quite a very odd technique of um, people walking forward, out, starting off out of focus in the background and walking forward into focus. Mm. Yes, I've, I've noticed that. It's very unusual. Um, I feel mm. like I might have seen it once or twice in other modern TV programs. It's very of the moment. It's probably one of those techniques that look dated once you know one day, like a shaky cam or whatever. But mm. at the moment, it's. Just one of those tiny, many tiny little things that are making it feel fresh and new mm. and and exciting, yeah. and and making me squint as well. Uh, uh, so one other thing, uh, water. So there's no there's no water anywhere in episode two that isn't got you know parasites in it or something. Mm. And yet somehow I, it's not entirely clear how long they they walk. I mean, I know people can survive without drinking mm. water for a number of days. But I mean, in, in this in this day and age, you know, nobody can survive for more than about fifteen minutes without swigging from a, uh, a, a bottle of mineral water. So it's it's kind of interesting that it's it's not really mentioned. They they seem to seem to cope okay um, without access to water. I bet I the accountants were dancing for joy, weren't they? An invisible killer menace lurking in the water. Mm. Mm. I think it doesn't. Art Malik talks about them having supplies, but um. Or being supplied with the, with the necessary um, supplies, 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 supplies <laughs> um, to um, to yeah. well, look if this had to been make the seven episodes long, hmm. like Marco Polo, that would have yes. been a major plot point. Ah! They very clear, yes. they very carefully laid out that it was going to happen over twenty four hours. So I think we can forgive yeah, them yeah. for not having the actors yes. wilting by the end of it. Yes, here's water, Marco Polo. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a clip of that yeah. once. <laughs> fantastic thanks everyone uh, for, for, for sharing those thoughts and we'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another episode of 13 cast looking at the next two episodes but in the meantime it's goodbye from me Richard and goodbye from these others bye bye yeah see ya goodbye from Simon thanks for listening mum and dad <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? And um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's roll, it's roll, um, okay. roll, it's roll ukulele and uh, and kazoo from that point. And, uh, is Jane Horrocks not from Yorkshire? No, she's, she's from, she's from Lancashire. Lancastrian. I just don't. Just say, all you Northerners are the same to me. I just don't. Oh golly! Where you, are you, you from probably again? thought you, you probably thought those two incidental characters in episode two were from Yorkshire as well. <laughs> one of those was Lancaster, and the other one was from oh, uh, Belfast. Yeah, Northern, I- like Northern Ireland. No, you did get that. Okay, that's good. <laughs> the other one, the other, the 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 so-called hard man. He was in. He was in the second serial of Broadchurch, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. He was indeed. He. he uh, spoilers. He uh, turned out to be the one what done it. He was a nasty piece of work in that. Mm. Right. I didn't. I didn't see the point of threatening a hologram. Mm. Person. Oh, never mind. I'm going to stop picking holes in it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs>
So, so, so did uh, did Tim provide you with that Swanee whistle at, at no great expense? <laughs> it cost him about two ninety nine, I think. <laughs> that that My... can't have been free postage on Amazon. Anyway, he was he, he was very magnanimous. He, he pointed out to his thousands of listeners that you told him not that you get what you pay for, not to buy a cheap one, and then bought a cheap one. It is dreadful. Actually, it's starting to warm up now. It's not as bad as it was the first. <laughs> Well, 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 maybe have a clangers episode in a few. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. I've always had this fantasy about about with regards to the clangers. Complete, complete side yeah. side thing here. But this this thing about the the clangers and the size of their moon, and the the size yeah. of clangers relative to their moon, and if clangers mm-hmm. ever came to Earth, I'm imagining that yeah, you know, no one's realised that there will be these. Five mile tall Cthulhu esque monsters, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that will just go <laughs> stomping around, causing tidal waves, and when the, when they whistle, their their um their calls will <laughs> will just shatter windows for miles around. And I I was good, as you're our scientific correspondent, I had a question to ask you, but we've yeah. none of this is going. It's finished now, isn't it? I can't. I have to save it for next week. <laughs> Okay. Well, you know, we're still recording. Okay. Go on, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we... Okay, Giles, you're our scientific correspondent. You've got several degrees in astrophysics. Can you tell me how a planet with three suns would work? No, I know that it's technically possible, but I would have thought that the physics would be rather more like we observe here on this planet with the, uh, with the planet revolving around the sun rather than vice versa. And what, we, what we clearly see in that episode is three suns rising as dawn breaks. Hmm. So what on earth? How on earth is that happening? Are they all positioned well, it's so th- close to each other, relative to each They'd have to be placed blooming close to each other, relatively, for the planet to hmm. be revolving around to... all three of them. But if the planet's in a stable orbit, I think they've, actually, they've discovered planets that kind of do it, do it both ways now, amongst exoplanets. They found some that go around individual stars in a binary system and some that go around... The common center of gravity, and if so, in that case, right. if you had three, um, if you had three, and they are quite closely clustered together, then you can, in theory, have a planet that can have a stable orbit around the common center of gravity, and the planet, the stars right. would, the stars would very slowly shift their mm. relative positions to each other over, yeah. you know, from over whatever period they're orbiting each other in. But um, but the planets would you know would then orbit, and the overall group of stars would only only change its position due to the planet's rotation and and its ah. orbit over the course of a year. And it must be kind of Earth-sized because does he does he actually specify they've got twenty four hours? Because, no, they're talking they're talking ro- they're talking rotation yeah. periods. One rotation period. Well, uh, yes. We're clearly supposed to equate that to a day. Mm, the sort yes. of days that we know. Yes, I'm surprised yeah. that um, Jody, it's sort of Jody starts science, using, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so and Jody starts using it as well, which um, which slightly I was thinking, well, why aren't they? Why doesn't she just shortcut it to being a day? You know, um, mm. which is what it is. But uh, I was, yeah. Uh, we'll have only... static electricity back next. Ah, excellent. Mm. So... <laughs> well, that was great. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the Sky Mike podcast. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I think the only, the only thing that caught me about the triple sun thing was um, was the fact they they then one hates to point out shortcomings of production because you think okay we're not we're not on a movie budget here but of course they weren't then they they then had one one quite strong 
point shadow from the obviously one sun in <laughs> South Africa. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know. And they were, they were only ripping off Star Wars, which had its two suns suspiciously close together. Yes. As indeed. if they'd mm. just left the camera where it was set up and waited mm. half an hour for it to move yes. a few inches across the screen. Mm. Anyway, let's go to bed. Not together. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that clarification. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You know, we're a close-knit right. team on this podcast, but not that close. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in food programs these days, I mean, it seems to be almost forbidden that you actually focus on anything. I mean, essentially, if the if the food isn't out of focus, then you're not doing it right. So far as I'm concerned, the, um, yes, if the two hosts of MasterChef um, out of focus, the better. Um, <laughs> Greg, Greg uh, and what's his name? Sorry, I always refer to them as Eggy, Eggy and Shouty. Oh, well, talking um, of talking of um, accents, I mean, what about John Tarides? Yeah, oh, that's it. One minute, yes. one one he's one minute he's gorblimey, and the next minute, you know, it's g'day gobber. So, and then Greg, well, Greg and his Greg and his desserts. Whoa, nice beer dessert. Whoa, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> Switch to Bake Off, Giles. To, bake Off's mm, much this nicer. Is, this is, this is oh, going right. straight to the end of the episode. Get in touch with my agent. I do Bake Off as well.